0: This episode of the Vulture TV podcast is brought to you by the new Starz series, The Girlfriend Experience, a seductive look inside a world where intimacy comes at a very high cost. Binge the entire season beginning April 10th, only on Stars. The following podcast contains spoilers. Check the episode description to see the exact times of the segments that contain spoilers.
1: Hello and welcome to the Vulture TV podcast. I'm your host, Gazelle Bami. On this week's show, we'll talk about the biggest show of 2016 yet, The People vs. O.J. Simpson. Plus, we're joined by People vs. O.J. director Anthony Hemingway. That's all coming up, but first, if you have any questions for us or ideas for topics you'd like to hear, leave us a voicemail at 646-504-7673 or email us at tvquestions at vulture.com. I'm here with New York Magazine TV critic Matt Zoller Seitz. Hey, Gazelle. Hey, Matt. And we're also joined by New York Magazine writer at large Rembert Brown. Hey, Rembert. Hey,
2: all. Hey, how are y'all? <laughs> happy, fr- happy, happy Happy OJ Day.
1: Happy OJ Day. <laughs> <laughs> happy OJ half year, Rembert. You, half year. <laughs> you called this first six months of 2016. OJ. Just OJ. Just OJ. <laughs> just OJ. Which it really has felt like because we had the run-up to the show. Like, that That was what everyone was talking about at the beginning of the year. And we're now we're, like, four months into the year. And we are still talking about it.
2: It started and I just... It, like, at the, halfway through the first episode, I was like, oh, this might actually be a real thing.
1: Yeah. And then by the end
2: of the first episode, I was like, oh, this is actually going to be... <laughs>
1: Incredible. Yeah, I think everyone had kind of doubted Ryan Murphy a bit too, and whether he'd be able to do this well. And then, <laughs> and then it just made so much sense when it came out because you kind of need a little bit of that pulpiness to to tell this story.
0: It's kind of a ridiculous story on a lot of <laughs> levels. Like it's it's it, there there's there's an inherent ridiculousness to a lot of it, and Ryan Murphy definitely gets that. He tends to go too far a lot of the times, but I think he's reined in by. um Scott Alexander and Larry Kieriszewski, who who did um, Man in the Moon and uh, uh, The People versus Larry Flint, um, Big Eyes. I mean, this is kind of their wheelhouse, this like semi-satirical, based on real life story.
1: I think what people, what took everyone by surprise is how much it humanizes everyone involved. And you really get that in the script and in the actors. I mean, we don't usually talk about performances on television. We do, but the conversation is often around... The showrunners and the writing and the visual element, but I haven't seen a show talked about so much in terms of the cast and just how controversial it was at the beginning too, and just how that watching that conversation has been fascinating. I also
2: think it's like the like you have actors, you have characters, like actors playing characters who were like like the, the the real figures were characters in themselves. Like, Johnny Cochran was a character. I've been having trouble thinking of anything yeah. like it because it's almost like a mini series about something that already almost seemed fictional. Every episode, I just have to remind myself, like, all of this actually happened.
0: One example I would compare it to is uh, some, some of Oliver Stone's films that are based on history, and I've got stone on the brain because I, I just finished writing this book about his life and work. But um, a movie like Nixon... Uh, is, is, is I think, is a pretty good comparison point because you've got a lot of care. That, that's a ridiculous story. That entire story of how the Nixon administration was felled by a third rate burglary. That's just absurd. It's just absurd on its face. And also the characters in there are, as you say, larger than life. Like, how can you possibly get somebody to play Nixon who is as interesting as Nixon himself? You know, and like, and can you get Nixon out of your head when you're watching Anthony Hopkins play Nixon? And I, I would argue that you could, but you know, some may disagree, but that's, that's a problem posed by OJ. Like, can Cuba Gooding Jr. be as sort of weirdly mesmerizing as as the actual OJ Simpson? And I got to say, Courtney, Courtney B. Vance is, is the MVP for me at this point, just because I forget that he's not Johnny Cochran. And Johnny Cochran is, like, by far the most flamboyant of any of the people associated with this entire affair.
1: Cuba's performance has definitely been the most criticized, I would say. I think the number one critique has been uh, he, he, the physicality of O.J. He doesn't, he's he's just too small to play O.J. Well, well,
0: he's just, almost everything about him is wrong, physically. <laughs> almost everything about him is wrong, let's be honest. But I, I kind of feel like... I'm a you got to you got to just roll with it and I think he's really really good. I think he's really really good and and it's just like uh just like any other movie based on historical events you you always have to ask yourself the que- uh, the question whether you're the filmmaker or the audience member what do I care about more? Do I care that this person is an exact physical and vocal match or do I do I want them to be the best actor possible and and sort of create a new Person, and I think that's what they've done for the most part is they've made these char- they've made these people into characters without losing the fact that they are actual people. I think O.J. is a great example of that because the way that I think we looked at O.J. at the time that the trial was going on was as sort of this blank slate that people could project their 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 insecurities and fears and hopes and desires and whatever else they wanted to project onto. And and it's hard to have a character like that who is by nature a cipher because of how he appeared on TV and give him an interior life. And I think Cuba Gunning Jr., along with the scriptwriters, managed to do that. I feel like I understand... Who knows if this is actually O.J., but I feel like I understand this character named O.J.
2: I was kind of waiting for things like flashbacks or kind of, you know moments where they kind of showed OJ at his peak and that never really happened. We just, it kept going, it stayed in the trial. It it stayed just Mm -hmm. like going forward, but I think that was actually a smart decision because by the time it becomes Cochran versus Darden, that's, you don't even, like OJ barely even needs to be in the show. I'm completely fine with Cuba as OJ because... You know, he's he's still kind of doing like Jerry Maguire as uh O. J. You know, he's just he's just like you know, he's like Cuba's very good at like just being like excitable, like crazy yelling person, you know, and that's like kind of the only
1: Yeah, it's like a darker that, that's, that, that's darker Jerry Maguire. Yeah.
2: Like that's, yeah, it's like a a really Really dark, really dark, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like instead of not getting a contract, he's, uh, he's on trial for murder. But, (laughs) uh, I, I do, I, I do think, uh, towards the later episodes when he's able to do a little bit less screaming and just like frantic, um, the scene when, uh, you know, like his, his, his old friends come back after the glove, because like they like oh it looks like maybe OJ didn't do it and he's like got his friends back and he's mm-hmm. kind of like upbeat OJ like I I I, I like that part you and know, the I mock cross like, examination
0: okay. I thought was great too oh god yeah
2: exactly where you see we like you see the, you see
0: the blood draining from the faces of all yeah. the lawyers in the room as they realize this is not <laughs> yeah. this is not a good idea
1: and it's
0: not a good idea
1: Robert Kardashian is just his soul is dying yeah, as he yeah. There. oh that was great that yeah. was
0: heartbreaking.
1: He's really that part like of the that's show. That's like a plot
2: point. Like that's like a that you that's like a really. I didn't expect them to go there to basically the whole show is, is the the foundation of it is uh, this guy realizing that his best friend like actually did it
1: early on. To David Schwimmer's performance was one of the more controversial ones, or at least divisive, where people either because <laughs> he, he just said juice all the time. Because he just said juice, juice, <laughs> <laughs> juice, juice, juice. <laughs> But now people really, you know, you really feel for him, and the, the, like, I think it was a really smart decision to show us the trial through his eyes a lot—those sad, sad eyes. For me,
0: the for for me <laughs> the most remarkable thing about the entire series is how they planted very early on this thread of police brutality and police corruption and racism, and they kept it sort of on a low simmer. All the way through, and then it finally comes to a boil in the in the episode that revolves around the Furman tape and that's that's really to me a Cochrane episode and we see that for Cochrane this is merely a means to an end and and like the j- i felt like I understood his his point of view, his strategy, and just his entire i guess you would say life purpose better from that episode where it's basically like, yeah, this is not about o j this is not even about this particular case, like the case that he's building it seems to me is this entire Los Angeles police force is so corrupt, so disgusting, so completely untrustworthy from top to bottom that you can't take your word on anything. Yeah. Like, everything, like, it's not a case of one bad apple. It's like, find me the good apple. That's a really extraordinary thing to do in a commercial television program, I think, even now.
1: What what do you think, what are the standout, like, could you pick, like, a best episode if you had to choose?
2: I mean, I don't know if, like, it's a full episode. I just, like, think there are, like, some scenes... Um, like the, the first time where Johnny just schools Darden, um, which they, <laughs> oh, yeah. which they, it, it's like surgical how they, how they set that up. Like they have the scene where, you know, Darden like tells Johnny that he's like, he looks up to him. Uh, you know, they have the scene where Darden goes back to his house, like to the neighborhood and he's like, he's talking about OJ and he's talking about how OJ like never did anything for a black community. You have the scene when his dad's like, don't do this case. I think Darden's the most fascinating character in the whole thing because there's so many moments where, like, his heart's in the right place. He just wasn't built for that moment. He's like Jeb. He's like Jeb in the election. He just, like, wasn't built for this. He he wasn't built for reality TV, you know? And... You just want to like you want to save him. I've f- I found myself like wanting to save Darden yeah. like ten times. It really like, is. Oh, the, it, no.
0: re- it really is the Titanic versus the iceberg.
2: <laughs> it, it, it really is. It's it, it, it's so amazing to watch because you know you just like know how like every episode is like a new pitfall.
0: You know how you, things you turn
2: out.
1: Yeah, it kind of flies yeah. in the face of spoiler outrage it, in a way because yeah. the show like yeah, it's, it's just like, we know what's going to happen. The finale
0: is coming up. Don't spoil it.
1: Yeah, it's like. It's just really about watching all the emotions involved and how like how it happens and just watching this devastation fall on each of each of these people. And it's just that's what makes for great television is not so much what happens, but how they get there. Well,
0: that's it, it, the the way the fact that this show is based on real events, any show that's based on real events or that has a real world kind of historical endpoint, like like uh, as Mad Men did or as the American still does. It sort of frees the show in a way. It kind mm-hmm. of frees the drama up because you're not really so concerned with what's going to happen next and will it surprise me. A lot of people are obsessed with that. Did I call it? Yeah. It's all about whether or not you call. I called it. <laughs> and you don't really, you're you not really thinking about that here. Because even if you don't remember every single detail of every single twist of the case, you kind of remember the, the high points and uh, but you don't you may not remember how you got there or what what came next
1: kind of like this whole anthology series trend i think a lot of the problem with some of them has been not knowing how to tell your story in this certain number of episodes like with true detective that was one of the complaints and fx i think is really good at this as they were with fargo you know they have just the right amount of like tension building from each episode that you just feel i don't know by the end of it you feel like you've seen the whole story
2: i, I think about all the I, I think about this all the time when it comes to like albums where it's like you really could have just done this perfectly in you know in nine songs like this could have like this they could have stretched this out like the, you know the fact that they didn't do flashbacks the fact that they just like kept it going in one direction the fact that they
1: yeah, they you had know, a theme for they, every they, episode, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. like, there,
2: there's, you know, you you kind of just, like, it's 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 bullet points. I mean, I just, I, I think it's, they, they did a really good job picking their spots. One thing I've talked a lot about is, you know, like, I am right on the fringe age-wise of, like, knowing things about this trial and remembering them. Like, a couple years younger than me, you just, like, don't, like, you're pretty much, like, learning about this stuff probably for the first time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I, I think like just that's another interesting aspect about kind of the timing of this coming out because I think there's a, a a true generation of people who are pretty much learning everything for the first time as they watch this, which has to be a completely different experience.
1: This you know? would be like a great thing to air in schools. I mean, just in terms of, like, mixing entertainment with learning. <laughs> well, yeah, I was yeah. also
0: thinking it would be great to air, it would be great to show this in law schools, and I'm sure yeah. that they probably will, because it really gives, like the actual trial, it gives you a sense of what it actually is to be, what it actually means to be a criminal lawyer, as opposed to what you see in Hollywood movies. And there's that great moment where Johnny Cochran and F. Lee Bailey go down south. Oh, and, yeah. And, and Johnny Cochran says, Your, Your Honor, may I, may I approach the bench? And he's already started walking, and the judge is like, uh, no. He's like, "Okay then." And he goes back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I also loved on the show the the kind of pop culture references and moments that I think they sprinkled in just the right amount. Like in the premiere, uh there's this moment where I think Robert Shapiro says I don't want to be late to the premiere of I Love Trouble. And our recapper was pointing out, like, <laughs> yeah. it's just like how comically ephemeral pop culture is. Like, yeah. who, like, that was like a flopped Broadway play that nobody yeah. cares about
2: anymore. But, like, I mean, I mean, the Martin Seinfeld conversation is incredible. That was great. Yeah. I mean, that's just incredible, incredible stuff.
3: Okay. So, we've received a few complaints about talking during TV time. If you have something to say, please try to keep your voice down. And your comments and laughter to a minimum.
0: (laughs) Speaking of, Blockbuster sent over a fresh batch of VHSs today.
4: Hey, did they send Martin? Martin that's my show. Man, don't nobody want to watch that clown. He's a
1: comedian. He's supposed to be funny. Didn't you hear the woman say we can't laugh? I'll laugh if I want to.
3: I wouldn't mind an episode of Seinfeld. Oh yeah. What is a Seinfeld? It's a TV show. I never heard of it. Seinfeld is a much better show. Oh, man, mm-hmm. Seinfeld ain't about nothing. We'll be watching Seinfeld. I'm just making a decision here instead of listening to you people argue. What do you <laughs> mean? Oh, no, don't, don't mean, start that crap with me,
4: mean, you, pal. I'm part American. You need, need to bounce up out of hey hey, hey,
3: hey, hey, guys, come
0: on. I'm sure we can find something we all want to watch.
3: Look, why don't we just take a vote?
0: Well, that's a great idea. Thank you, Armando. Who votes
3: Martin?
4: Hey. Doug. Doug. Oh, that's
2: what I'm talking about. Now, if you want to watch Seinfeld. Martin it is. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally sitting on my couch, just shrugging. i was like, this is incredible. Well, I can't believe. I can't believe they're just doing all this right.
0: Well, there's every episode. Also, another thing they've done really well is every episode gives you that chapter of the O.J. saga but it also gives you something else which is related to the OJ saga and it's like to me it's like week after week proving that the OJ Simpson trial was in fact about american life like it was just a window into an american life into american life and the question of like why are we spending so much time on this trial like it's just it's just some guy accused of murdering his ex-wife no it's actually all the things that people say it is like race class uh, gender discrimination, um, they, and just the inherent problems in the criminal justice system that make it so hard to deliver real justice. And the jury episode gets at that so well. Like, one of the things the jury episode did brilliantly, I thought, was the part where they're striking various jurors, what you're seeing there is that um, a large percentage of those jurors, most of them black, have something in their past that prevents them from being basically plausible jurors. And you know that, and you sort of expand that to get into this idea that everybody has some shameful thing in their past. Like it may be legal, it may be moral or ethical or whatever, but like no, everybody's tainted. And also the way that everybody knows each other, like the whole thing with Ito and his wife and Mark Furman.
1: Yeah, i I'd, I'd completely forgotten I, about yeah, that. I had no idea.
0: And it's a small world. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's another thing that's really well done. Where like they don't. They don't beat that detail over the head in the beginning. Like there is that like little moment where you see Ito's wife like glance over like the Furman name and then just kind of you know obviously like knows Furman is, but doesn't say anything about that. And then like that just is, that's something that happens. Like and then six episodes later it comes back. Everything feels very very purposeful.
0: Also also extraordinary is the fact that on both the defense and the prosecution you see lawyers having conversations about, you know, the fact that they've fucked up, like there's all these things they should have done that they couldn't have done, things that have really compromised the quality of the verdict, whatever that's eventually going to be, and the possibility of a mistrial. And, and at various points, both the prosecution and the defense consider like, well, what if there is a mistrial? It would probably be better for justice if there were, because then we could go back and not do all those things wrong. We could do over again. But then the conclusion they come to is, "Fuck it, I'm not giving this another eight months of my <laughs> right. life."
1: Nobody wants, you no, know, which it's is not really, worth it. Yeah, and you really get a <laughs> sense
0: of like how how the ideal of justice is compromised by the reality of just being a human being <laughs> in this world and having a life.
2: Yeah, you know, like so at true. a certain
0: point that like even a brilliant attorney like a Johnny Cochran or an F. Lee Bailey says I can't I can't do this anymore.
2: I also think Sarah Paulson's incredible, and I think that the part where she goes up like upstate or um, out with Dur- oh, uh, Darden for yeah. his friend's birthday. That I mean that I think that I think that scene like at the bar is incredible. The so, shot glasses where
0: she's it, re- it really achieves yeah, so yeah, many the state things. stayed on Rockingham is this shot glass, and yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. you can see. She, she's, I
0: mean, she, she's incredible. She's
1: funny. She's smart. She's like. I, I she's a
0: badass in that. She, she's like Barbara Stanley yeah. in that scene.
1: And Sarah Paulson is just—I think her voice has been so, like, just listening to her voice in different episodes. She's so good at changing her intonation to be the the hard ass, to be vulnerable, to be funny, to be attractive. It's amazing the range she's had, and it's just
2: she's like everything. Like a like a, she like runs the full spectrum of what like a. Like a professional woman has to be. Yeah, like she's like, like a like real person.
1: <laughs> she's like a very real person. <laughs> it's it's crazy. incredible. Yeah, and it's incredible. It's like it's I think it's just amazing to see a fully realized role for a woman. Well,
2: I think that cracker cop planted that glove. And they all did what they had to do to prove that OJ did it. That's what I think.
3: <laughs> okay. Here's the crime scene, Bundy. Here's O.J.'s house. Okay. Furman made up his mind at Bundy that Simpson did it. Even though he had no idea if O.J. had an ironclad alibi that would then ruin Furman's career and land him in jail. Furman takes the glove at Bundy... Make sure it has Goldman and Nicole's DNA on it, jumps in the car with the other detectives, heads to Rockingham with it, where he gets into the Bronco, somehow, getting all that evidence in it, including Simpson's blood. Even though the police didn't have Simpson's blood until the next day. Mm, mm, mm. Then he goes over the wall, plants the glove behind Kato's room. Then, with the help of the rest of his super secret cabal of O.J. hating racist cops, he starts getting everything just so. Just where it needs to be. Nicole and Ron and O.J.'s blood into O.J.'s bedroom. O.J.'s blood back to Bundy. Oh, and O.J.'s Bronco's fibers back to Bundy, too. Oh, and they don't forget to get rid of the real killer's blood from the back gate. No, no, no. And replace it with O.J.'s blood. Then O.J.'s sock. They get that back to Bundy to pick up all the blood, and then get that sucker right back to Rockingham, too. These guys are a well-oiled conspiracy machine, after all. All this during a time when everyone involved is under the most relentless media scrutiny in American history. And all this for an unknown killer.
1: Maybe. No! (laughs) Coming up, we'll speak with Anthony Hemingway, but first, a word from our sponsors.
0: Support for the Vulture TV podcast comes from the Stars series The Girlfriend Experience, a new drama from executive producer Steven Soderbergh. Riley Keough stars as Christine Reed, a second-year law school student who is introduced to the seductive world of transactional relationships, providing emotional and sexual intimacy at a very high price. Juggling two different lives, Christine quickly finds herself attracted to the rush of control and power, but soon realizes that everything comes at a cost. Binge the entire season beginning April 10th, only on Stars.
1: Hi, Anthony. Hey, Anthony. Hi, guys. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm fantastic. (laughs) Happy Friday. (laughs) We wanted to talk a little bit about The People vs. O.J. Simpson, which has become, I would say, the biggest show of the year so far. Um, Yes. (laughs) And, you know, you directed about half of the episodes, which is somewhat unusual for television, You usually have a director coming in for individual episodes. Could you talk us through, you know, how, just how it was decided that you would be so involved in terms of the the visual approach?
4: When I was first approached um, about the project from Ryan Murphy, um, it was always kind of proposed that I would do half of the episodes and he would do half. His schedule got a little bit more hectic, so he wasn't able to, and we brought in John Singleton to be one episode. So kind of going into it, I always knew that I would somewhat have that really awesome opportunity.
1: What do you think that, that Ryan liked about your style specifically for this show? My
4: my kind of handle on social media is shiny boots, <laughs> and my friends gave me that um, just because I am a new voice and living almost in a time that, with particularly that show, I live through it, but I'm also young enough to kind of still be booted on the ground and an ear to the streets. And so I bring a, a, a perspective, I think, that is honest and true. I'm, you know, a black man at the same time, so I can somewhat help balance it. And as the dichotomy of extremes were in the show, I kind of, you know, somewhat match up to that, I believe.
0: I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the style of the show. And the style that you bring to the show. This is a very different kind of directing than we see on, say, American Horror Story. Or that we see on Treme, which you've directed episodes for, or The Wire. Can you talk a little bit about how do you bring yourself to a series that has a house style? Where there's certain things generally that you're supposed to do or not do just for the sake of consistency. Like, how does that work?
4: You know, it starts from the script, uh, and I take all and every inspiration from that blueprint. And, you know, Scott and Larry really created something very magical. And so with that, a lot of times, you know, especially with a a piece like this that is very close to real life, um, it's part of our history. Uh, there are a lot of challenges that come with that, really finding humanity in these characters and and, 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 and really kind of having a lens into their personal lives or, or just try, trying to see them as humans versus the characters or the caricatures of reality that we saw them, you know, when this first came out just through the media. It really starts with the psychology of the narrative and also each character.
0: You're almost like, it's almost like you're spying on them. The camera hangs way back and the characters are kind of small in the frame.
4: You know, I mean, we wanted the one to be cinematic and also too just in the storytelling of it, there's so much that you can tell in composition in terms of using negative space or, you know, putting a character against a wall. Um... You know, there's, to me, psychology that comes into that in terms of what's going on in their mind when they're heroic, when they're not. When they're winning, when they're losing. There's a scene that just in the la- in episode nine that I did where after the end when OJ is changing out, he feels that Johnny, you know, the genius and you have Kardashian, you know, pissed back against the wall. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, you know, that's an amazing moment.
4: Time, you know, it's a moment there where he's, constantly well and up to this point has been so conflicted but continuing to somewhat try to stand by his friend this shift here now in this moment where now oj is back on top and he's back into kind of his celebrity and kardashian now is miserable and and just re- literally his back is against the wall which is why i blocked it and had him stand there so if you look at it in one shot O.J. has the play of the room, you know, so he has the, the opportunity to use and, and own the space where mm. Kardashian really is
0: stuck. That sort of thing that you're talking about, that's like a directorial characteristic, almost more of like classic Hollywood movies. A lot of the direction that I see now in television and in cinema seems to be more coverage driven, where it's more like about, let's make sure we get everybody on camera who's saying a line. You know, like that that sort of psychological aspect that you're talking about is something that I don't see done quite as much.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think on more of the cable outlets, we have opportunities to be more cinematic. Um, We're not afraid of living in those shots that really tell stories. I think, more on network TV. They're used to making sure every line is on camera and you live in close-ups and you never get to see space. And space tells a lot about what's going on, I think.
1: I also loved all the shots of the municipal architecture of L.A. that kind of you get in between these courtroom scenes. These buildings are just, Mm -hmm. like, massive.
4: And that was the thing, too, of just really trying to keep L.A. in play. I mean, Mm -hmm. just as the season you know, progresses, you start to realize how much this trial kind of impacted and enveloped the city.
0: Can you talk a little bit about uh, the jury episode? All of a sudden, late in the game, you're introducing basically like more than two dozen new characters (laughs) to the show. Yeah. (laughs) What sort of conversations do you have with the actors to individuate them, to basically create, give this tip of the iceberg quality where you feel like you know these people, even though they maybe have two lines or four lines?
4: We knew that was coming, so we actually cast them early on, so we knew who we had. Um, And when we got to that episode, they'd been there for you know, several episodes already, so they were definitely, I think, you know, it was almost like real life. As long as this trial went on and as long as they were a part of that case, they had to sit there and be a part of the shooting of this. So some of just even the frustration that they had to portray, I'm sure kind (laughs) of (laughs) came on (laughs) it. It was just fun. It was definitely one of the funner episodes um, because we got to actually give give you a breather of, you know, with the case and, and actually take you into this world that no one ever got to see.
1: It's also kind of claustrophobic. Like, I felt a little crazy watching it. Like, it not like yeah. just well, the way uh, it's shot, you feel really enclosed.
4: And that was the important part of it, just being a little bit more intimate there, because, you know, we wanted to really be with them and give them a point of view. But it was, you know, that was the thing of just seeing them, you know, have this fantasy of being a part of this largest you know biggest trial of the century and how they start they go into this hotel thinking one thing and then they realize that it's so stripped (laughs) away and and it becomes the reality right away
0: (laughs) i'm just laughing thinking about poor that poor bastard who thinks he's going to go swimming Right? (laughs) (laughs) can you talk a little bit about the use of music on the show some of the some of the pop music choices they're 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 interesting. They're like they some of them are intuitive and some of them are counterintuitive and almost all of them I think are of the period, right, or slightly before. Yeah,
4: they all are part of the period. Yeah, they all. I mean, it's funny because I had a couple choices in and in, uh, one of my cuts that I really wanted it was a little later than the period and it just really kind of played uh, really awesomely, but we ended up having to change it. What was it? LL Cool J Mama said knock you out. I wanted oh. to use
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um,
4: it was, you know, in the, it was the, the glove scene episode. I mean, the early episode where they come walking in and they're like ready for war. But it was a little later than our period so we were not able to use it.
1: You're working on another big show right now, Underground. Um, and one of one of the most striking elements of that show is the the use of music as well. And the There's the first scene we open with is playing Kanye West, Black Skinheads. And I was curious how you decided when to use these kind of huge musical moments and then when to just let a powerful scene play out in silence.
4: I think it was a a strong intent to drag the past into the present. You know, we didn't want to take the viewer on a trip and through a museum. We wanted to really kind of rather let them sit back and look at the painting. We wanted to take the painting on the wall and let them live in it. So there was definitely times where we felt the need to sort popularize it and also kind of contemporize it in a way of giving it this kind of Baz Luhrmann-esque style that somewhat may seem foreign to the year, but it, it, it actually works. And I think just using this this historical piece, it really allows it to kind of have a familiar sound that I think engages the viewer.
1: You've worked on a lot of shows that deal with the Black American experience. And in your time doing television, have you noticed any changes in how easy it's been to get these stories told?
4: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it's easy. I think, you know, we're definitely finding room to continue to, I think, open up opportunities to share many stories i think you know all our stories are important and i i believe that we are definitely making progress i went to a screening last night of confirmation the mm-hmm. film about anita hill on hbo and watching that show was like peeling a scab off of an open wound and just realizing that, you know, we're making progress. It hasn't been major steps, but we are making progress. And I think if we continue to find uh, these healing mechanisms by way of sharing all our stories and realizing what more we need to do, you know, just Mm -hmm. to move forward. So I definitely love stories that have that message. It's definitely the kind of a brand that I have created and I want to continue to somewhat contribute to our society and make sure that I leave a legacy that I'm proud of and something that I can, you know, make sure that I didn't live a life and that was in vain.
1: That's an honorable goal. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of pressure. It's
4: yeah. Of pressure. <laughs> it's not easy. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's it for this week's Vulture TV podcast. Don't forget to email us your questions or comments at tvquestions at vulture.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-504-7673. The Vulture TV podcast is produced by Sam Dingman. Laura Mayer is our managing producer and Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. The Vulture TV podcast is part of the Panoply Network. I'm Gazella Mami, and you can find me on Twitter at GazellaFence.
0: I'm Matt Zoller Seitz, and you can find me on Twitter at Matt Zoller Seitz.
1: Thanks for listening.